right, here we go. Welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. And today I've got a, a very exciting guest, uh, Megan Sweet, Dr. Megan Sweet. And I'm excited because part of this show has been, you know, focused around entrepreneurship and, and marketing, how to grow your, your business, uh, self-growth, all of that. But one of the things that you guys know that I thread through the episodes is the fact that I'm a parent uh, to four little ones who we homeschool. And I've, I, you know, a lot of the guests that have come on the show talk about their kids, you know, K through 12 college, and we're all going through these challenges. And so I'm so excited to have Dr. Sweet here today is to really talk to us about the challenges in education. She's been at it for more than 25 years. So I want to welcome Dr. Sweet. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Okay, you're welcome. So tell us a little bit about you. How did you start in education? Yeah, so I started in education um, at 21 when I got out of uh, college. So I knew I wanted to be a teacher from an early age. I went to high college and studied what I planned to teach when I was um, out of college. So literally the day after I graduated from college, I went to uh, Stanford to do my teacher education program and started teaching that summer. So, uh, so were your parents teachers? Nope, they weren't. I wanted to be a teacher because I had such a hard time in school myself. So I was a kid that struggled a lot in school. I was in a lot of chaotic classrooms. I grew up in Berkeley in the 70s and 80s. So all those Berkeley hippies that then had children, those were us in those classrooms (laughs) and some non-hippies. But it was a, a fairly erratic time in the Bay Area and in the classrooms that I was in. And I just often felt really lost and confused. And so at some point, probably around 10 or 11, I had an excellent teacher and um, I felt the impact of having that excellent teacher. And then I wanted to be one ever since then. So, wow. so, yeah, so yeah. I knew what I was doing when I was going into college and getting out. <laughs> wow. That's, that's interesting because for me, I think like you, we share that I also struggled. I originally came from Brazil. So this was my second language around 10, 11 years old. And um, I went through all those years struggling. And for me, it wasn't until later in life that I I, I learned the passion for teaching. So, mm. you know, I've been doing it for about five years and mostly teaching adults, but with, with, they're at marketing education. So different from what you do, but it's interesting because you right out the shoot understood that like, if I'm going through these challenges, like this is like, I, I want to do this. I want to make it better. And you realize that right away. For me, it took like 20 years because for the, all those years, my story was I could never teach. I would be horrible at it because I was a horrible student. So I thought that uh, there, that, that was my disconnect. But then later I figured out that, no, wait a minute. There's so, it, it's so, so much joy in teaching people anything that can give them a superpower and them do something with it. So I, I have such high respect for educators. So definitely want to talk to, that, to you about oh, that. Well, thank so, you. <laughs> yeah. And you, you talked about creating a more equitable society. So talk to us about that in education, because that kind of ties into why you, why you do, do it. Yeah, well, I mean, education is a gatekeeper. It's a gatekeeper for everything, right? So if we don't have access to information, know how to learn, advocate for ourselves, read, write, it is such a huge gatekeeper to what we can do in later in life, whatever our choices, whether we choose to do, go off to college and do that kind of pursuit or go right into a career. 
Mm-hmm. Education gives us those tools. It also shapes a lot of who we are and who we think of ourselves to be through the interactions we have with the other adults around us. And I, it wasn't lost on me, even as a kid, and certainly hasn't been lost on me as an adult, that we have you know, a big challenge in our society with equity, uh, with systemic racism and other things that are denying so many of the people in our country with access to opportunity and appropriate learning environments. And so even as a kid, definitely now that's my focus is how do we support every child to have access and equitable access to the kind of education that's going to allow them to have all the doors that that they want to have open open for them so that's what i focus on yeah and i think it's such an interesting point you, you know because you're talking about equity and like you said systemic racism and i think a lot i was talking to my 11 year old last night about affirmative action you know and why it exists mm-hmm. and in the context of education specifically but also workplace and you know small businesses who need loans why do they allocate certain amount for certain minorities you know and um it's it, it's one of those things that even a child could understand why we need to give the opportunities to those who start that race way, way back there in life right. and, and how we all benefit from it, by the way, all we of all us. win, we all win when everyone's successful. So a superpower, one of the questions that I had asked you before we started the podcast is your superpower. And the, the way you answered it was that it's designing and leading transformation in communities from the classroom to the boardroom. So talk to me about that. Well, I happen to have all those skills. Um, in some ways, I'm a little bit of a unicorn, um, even in the education world. But um, I was a teacher for 10 years, so I, I really understand classroom change and how to lead classroom change. After I was a teacher, I became a, an administrator and got my doctoral degree in education change management. So I, I focus and learn how to create change. That's what my academic specialty, <laughs> my training and specialty is. And they um, love the change, right? When you come oh, in. Everybody is so happy when they see me. No one, everyone loves change, right? That's our favorite thing. You're like, here, so. <laughs> here she is about to give us a bunch Here's of homework. Change lady, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, even, I mean, it's interesting that you say that even places where, I am, I've helped to lead changes that the school has asked for and wanted and actually asked for me to show up and do things for them. There's still a lot of pushback because change is hard, no matter what, it's frightening and, and, and intimidating for folks. So um, yeah, so yeah. I've, I've done that. And then I'm actually now a school board member in my local school district. So I have this range of experience where I've moved from the classroom to school leadership, to district leadership, and now to school board leadership. And so I really understand education Um, both academically and then professionally from a lot of different angles. Yeah, I happen to have a a skill around synthesizing information and creating those long-term plans. It happens to be uh, where I'm the strongest. So, so yeah, that's my superpower. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, yeah, and that's great because I think, you know, definitely educators, I'm, I'm sure, in my experience too, they, they understand the, the value of process. Obviously if you're teaching, Mm -hmm. you believe in process, so, so to speak. Right. Um, but there's always some resistance. I know even from our teams, when we come in, uh, to a company and we try to change their marketing, their marketing, people look at us as like the bad guys. Oh gosh, here you come. You're calling it transformation, but really you're going to like change everything. And then I have to relearn it and there's resistance. So there's like the, the human side of it, right. The educator and the students, but, uh, in between there, when I start to think about communication process, it's so, so much of it is led with technology. How does that impact the way you help people adapt? Right. Cause you're trying to use yeah. this human process. <clears throat> yeah. 
Well, I think technology is a big helper and the pandemic has forced educators to embrace technology in a new way. So I'll say that we as a, as a people and educator people tend to be fairly resistant to technology, especially us older people. So we don't always want to do it. And I think the pandemic has brought that forward for us. So I'll just say that's one of the plugs for, to me, around technology that's been beneficial to education is we've actually seen that we can do a lot of things through Zoom or there's a lot more on the web and a lot, lot more way to integrate technology into our instruction than we had before. But you said process, and I think that's a really important part of it. So when we are creating any kind of change, when we're showing up and doing anything that could be experienced as disruptive, um, I think communication is the most essential element of that, right? So we need to let people know what's happening, when, how, when they can plug in, what their opportunities are. And I think technology can be a great partner with all of that. So providing access to information. I mean, my son's principal actually does it in a way that I think is really interesting. So she, she uses technology to communicate with us. We get calls from the school three or four times a week, and that call is translated into a bunch of different languages. And so because of technology, I've been identified as the English person. And so I get this (laughs) message in English from from the principal. It's not her voice. It's it's an electronic voice or mechanical voice because it's translating her words into all these other languages. But it's a really interesting thing. So I think technology can help us to bridge language barriers, access to information barriers, uh, as a board member now, we've been are doing our Zoom meeting. We've been doing board meetings via Zoom, and our engagement is much higher. People are much more aware than they were before. So I think technology can be a great aid in helping us to communicate what's going on when we're leading a change, gather information. Um, you know, there's a million really great surveys and processes that technology can help us with these days. I think it also can be a real detriment. So I will say that something that I saw during the pandemic in particular that was really heartbreaking for me was how uh, technology via like social media in particular Mm. became this place where actually educators were getting beaten up quite a bit by our community. You know, lots of like negative words and phrases being thrown out there, people venting their frustration at the pandemic and about how schools responded to that by saying things, but maybe forgetting or not I don't know. I don't know what the mind is of the people that were making those negative comments, but, you know, teachers are also on social media. And so they're reading this from their community of the complaints and it didn't help them to feel really connected or supported during that time. So I think technology is great. I think all of these platforms are wonderful and we need to use them with some care. Well, you're out in California, so, you know, you're, you're, your neighbor, their Facebook or Meta, you know, they they've driven a lot of this polarization yeah. that we've seen from obviously the political side to healthcare with the misinformation. You know, I teach my kids and I mentor other kids from uh, middle school, high school, even in college on how to uh, really navigate the Internet and really how a lot of what you come across on the Internet is, um, quite frankly, just garbage. And and so you need to need to have the ability to to determine what's valuable and what's garbage. It's, it's black and white to me, by the way. I mean, it really is. If I do a Google search, I know it's an algorithm. And I know that the algorithm of every social and search platform is driven by money. So it's a pay, pay for play, basically. Right. Right? right. And so even if even if you, Dr. Sweet is, I mean, you have the best paper on the, I mean, like, literally, you're like, you could still be page 1 million and yeah. no one will find you could have put 10 years into a body of work 
you still might not be found. Yeah. But the the jokester who wants to, you know, kind of put a fork in the road and 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 change the narrative of something for whatever reason because he is benefiting from clickbait and monetizing the traffic. Like people don't really understand that. So when I talk to parents, I'm like, listen, it's not just for for the the the, the privacy aspect or the dangers of the internet, cyberbullying and all of that that you need to teach your kids how to do research. It's also because so much of it is garbage. Like if you go yeah. on YouTube, I mean, yes, there's a lot of helpful things, sure. But honestly, like you, in order to go out there and teach clients your your um, subject, um, you you have an accreditation, like you went through a process mm -hmm. to get your PhD. And you could have someone speak about the same topic as you do in a process that's similar, and they could have gotten a degree online from a school in Bermuda or whatever, and not mm -hmm. to knock on that, which is okay. I think the bar is very low and people need to know that, you know, like you hear from influencers and creators, they're not doctors. So if they're giving out like advice, don't, don't go listen to the hosts of some show on TV. And we are at that place with that. And so when I think about education, what you and I were talking about is that there's the educator, and there's the student. And then when you're talking about the board, and then all the stakeholders in the community, in the school, at home. Like, talk to me about that. Like, all the stakeholders. So you've got the student, yeah. the educator. They're spending, like, I don't know, 20% of their days together. Right. And then there's all the other stakeholders. Yeah. That's a really great point. Yeah. I mean, I think there's what happens in the classroom between the teacher and the student, and that's kind of the 20% that you're describing, or even probably more than that, but they're, they're spending their days together, teaching and learning together. And what's interesting, especially with technology now is that actually you can kind of check out a lot of what they're doing because teachers are using things like Google Classroom and other things that are providing us a window into instruction that actually none of us have ever had before. So it's interesting for me as a parent to look at some of that relationship even alone, because I can go into my kid's classroom and see exactly what he was taught during the day. I can see the PowerPoint presentation that the teacher gave. I can see all kinds of, of things um, and I can see what his lessons are. I can see what, what homework was turned in or wasn't, which is pretty cool. But beyond that relationship, then there's the relationship of the principal with the students and the teacher and the principal with parents. So those of us that have kids, there's an opportunity then to make those connections and to talk with one another. Again, information is really key. There's lots of neat apps and things like that now where you can talk to, par to parents and it's, for me, it's great. So I can just get on my app and I can communicate with all of my son's teachers instantly and ask questions. So there's that kind of engagement and community, but then there's a larger community outside of that. So if you, you kind of keep imagining how a school exists within the larger world, there's the ecosystem of the teacher and student, school and student, and then the schools within a larger community itself. So it's all the different stores, restaurants, neighborhoods that schools are around and how those impact what happens within the school. So anybody who's been in a school knows that whatever happened on outside of school comes right into the school and vice versa, right? So um, those could be positive things like, you know, neighborhood revitalizations or just cool things that happen in your community and also the challenging things that happen within your community also show up there. So it's, you know, it's just a really large ecosystem. And then you, you get outside of that, then there's all the different schools and how they interact within the city and all the different social service agencies and other groups that 
work within and around schools. I mean, schools are really core centers of our communities. I think that was something that became really clear to folks during the pandemic, especially in states like mine, where schools were closed for such a long period of time, basically a year you felt the impact of when a school was closed, not only on the school building itself, but on all the, where the parents work. I luckily was able to have the luxury of working from home and, and my work didn't skip a beat, but a lot of people had to choose between educating their kid or going to work. So you start to see how much schools impact our larger community and our success. It's a, it's a, it's a big ecosystem and one that we need to engage with. Yeah. And you know, when I think of these stakeholders in, in, whether it's organizations that I work with or nonprofits that I'm a part of, I, you know, I start thinking about the messaging and everything else that happens, you know, you have pretty good control of it and between you and the customer or the member. But when I think about school today, and I think about the, it was a 50 million plus students, right. Around the country that go to school every day. It's like the, the kids who are, well, some kids who are 10 have a smartphone now, but okay, let's say 13 and up. They're mm-hmm. carrying this smartphone with, I mean, which is a supercomputer. And I think it's so hard for teachers to be able to con- like excite them to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess, the, I guess where I'm trying to get at is like, whose responsibility is it to really keep them engaged? Because the point I guess I want to make is that the, the smartphone that these kids have, the information that is cool to them, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, whatever, a YouTube video, sport, it's with them 24-7. So mm-hmm. like, we already know how how that is challenging as a parent. But then like when they t- take that into the school, how can teachers overcome that? Because sometimes it's not even apparent. I know I can, I can go into a school and talk to students and I'm watching their body language and what they're doing. Some of them are looking at their Apple watches and they've got their, you know, uh, earbud on and they're just, just being bombarded with information that is being fed from their, their smartphone. And I'm not sure you can do anything about that, but like, what, what are you doing or are teachers doing to sort of leverage that and, and, and keep them excited? Because I, I think it's like, you're trying to compete with these things that are so easy for the mind, right? Like this entertainment that, that just happens in 15 second reels. And then you're like, oh, let's talk about this, like really thought provoking subject matter. How do you, how do you do that as a teacher? How do you keep their attention? Yeah, that's a really that's that's the that's the problem isn't it and and the opportunity i i think we have kids these days that are oriented differently and i'm watching you know again my my son's now in middle school and i was a middle school teacher so i'm watching it play out with content that i'm very familiar with um, with an age group that i'm very familiar with and obviously with a human i'm very familiar with in my house my own child and um and his orientation towards learning and towards work is different uh, because he was raised with technology, because information is available at your fingertips, um, they're different people. Their connection with and understanding about the world is much more in depth than ours are in some ways, because they have access to information that we just didn't have. Okay. Um, in other ways, they're they're more short circuited because they don't have the ability to focus as well, right? I mean, I think your point was a really good one. Like technology is such a part of them that trying to take it away can be difficult. But then, how do you help them to build those bonds and connections outside of the screen and outside of that space. And so I I think it's a little bit of what we need to do in education in general, which is understand that our educators are truly, our our students, pardon me, are truly different than they were before. And we can't continue to educate them the way we did before. Um, It's just, it's a different world. So my son's actually reading a lot of the same stories that I taught 20 years ago 
which is weird and kind of disconcerting sometimes around like, well, I feel like probably we could be a bit different. So I think as our as a profession, we need to become more agile and adjust a little bit more. We need to learn how technology is supporting kids and how mm-hmm. we can use it in a more intentional way, but also how to how to help them to build the skills outside of those screens so that they can still interact with one another in ways that we are aspiring for them to do as humans, which is to be like actually yeah. looking up at people face to face. So I think it's a combination and I don't have a, a great easy answer for you because I think it's it's the work that we need to do. And I think the pandemic brought that forward a little bit. I do see a lot of really great examples of folks and actually all of my son's teachers do it too. They use technology, they bring it in, right? So, you know, there's also this great access to videos, uh, media, ways to engage with students that's really exciting that does meet them where they are. So what's the balance between having them read a story and then doing some research and that helps them to understand that. Um, I also do see a lot of educators and it's a really important lesson to, to do the very thing that you're doing. And it's a conversation I have with my kid all the time around like, just because it's on YouTube doesn't make it fact. In fact, a lot of it isn't. So how do you start to use your discernment and understand that? Yeah, because so much of it is driven by dollars. I know because I've been in the digital side for close to 20 years and it's it literally every click online is backing into somebody else's you know, shareholder value and, and how they're trying to drive traffic, monetization, monetization. They don't care the entertainment or the information. They just care that if people click here long enough, which is no different than traditional mass media, mm-hmm. people, you know, they, they'll, they'll sell you Super Bowl commercials for whatever price because, you know, they, they want to sell more products. And so kind of, it's not that different in that way, except like online, because these are interactive experiences and because the bar set pretty low, like, okay. Like if I want to promote hate today or misinformation, like Facebook and Google, and I'm saying the two of them because they dominate, they are a duopoly in the online ad world. Like they don't first talk to Alex to find out who Alex is and why am I trying to promote hate? They're like, this is how much it costs per click. What's your budget? Great. Uh uh Launch those ads. And I say, great. And I want to launch it to target 13 year olds. Possible? Yes. Uh Here's how you choose them. It's like, wow. And so on the other side, as a, as a parent, um, it's to me, it's like very worrisome, you know, as a business owner and doing what I do in marketing and technology, I see the dangers of it and how a lot of people think it's just very innocent but it's not innocent. There's a lot of internal, external forces. And, and it just takes so much work as a parent. And I can imagine as a daily, like someone like you, who, who's in the thick of it day in and day out to, especially if the parents maybe are not really involved. Let's say if they're not involved because they're working hard, they're working two jobs, then it's, they just kind of leave it to their kid and the smartphone to, to decide on what's what. So I guess, talk to me about your, the, when you talked about the human-based process that you create, which Mm -hmm. focuses on internal and external drivers. I was interested about that because you talked about burnout, teacher Mm -hmm. burnout, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's a lot of burnout during COVID. So Mm -hmm. what, 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 what do you do in some of that process internally, externally to help prevent them from burning out to begin with? Yeah, well, it's very non-technology. So I, I appreciate your point around how easy it is to access people. So I just will name that. But the the 
my belief as humans, um, one of the things we need to do is develop a, a really heart-centered and loving relationship with ourselves. We need to know ourselves well and develop the capacity to accept ourselves. That doesn't mean that we don't want to continue to improve and work on ourselves, but um, we do that with some gentleness and kindness rather than being overly critical and harsh. And there's actually a lot of really great research that shows that it's far more effective for us to be friends with ourselves and kind to ourselves and compassionate with, with ourselves. If we want to create a change, then if we're beating ourselves up, we're you know motivating ourselves through being critical or identifying our areas of, of growth. So the heart-centered really is heart-centered. How do we start to connect our heads with our hearts and learn how to love ourselves more and know ourselves more? The reason why that's important for us as humans is that it's going to help us to know where we want to grow. It's also going to give us that resilience and confidence to do whatever we want to do. But also because we are inundated with messages all the time from media, from people we know, from our families of origin about who we are, who we should be. And those often run without us even noticing it. So they, they, are, they go right into the subconscious mind and they start to run the show and how we experience life. If we start to become more heart-centered and aware, then we actually start to become, a, we can start to see those messages as they're playing out and it can start to interrupt them. So that's the internal part is to develop that capacity internally to know ourselves and to start to make those changes within ourselves. The external part in schools is like once we know ourselves a lot better and we know what our motivations are, our drivers are, or where our blind spots are, then we can start to create more intentional and inclusive learning spaces in our classrooms and in our schools and in our communities because we can start to shift how we interact, shift how we work with other people, shift how we support our students. And that starts to have a really huge ripple effect. So I do both. I help people with that internal part. I help folks to understand who they are and how to start to work with that. And then I also work with the larger system of like, okay, and now what change do you want to make in your school? And how do you want to make it be more inclusive and, and help them to do both? We started our conversation with uh, change is hard and difficult and people react, right? So if I'm going to do a, a big structural change in a school, it absolutely helps me if people also already have that internal mechanism for dealing with that change. So I do both. I help them with the internal re response as well as the external stuff that needs to change. I love the internal process that you're talking about and you're you're right it sounds like very human based you know i'm picturing like doing a a, a yoga exercise and sure. meditating and just trying to like connect with nature and the world and and just mm -hmm. be mindful of your mental health i love that you're talking about that first uh, take care of yourself and then at, once you've figured out how it works and i'm sure you have different um approaches then you start to think about the 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 external but mm -hmm. speaking about the external talk to me about the challenges that i'm sure you experience 2021 with all the politics and everything that has happened you've got two sides one side wants this the other side wants that one wants inclusivity the other wants no, just, it's all about me. I have no empathy. That's not my problem. If you grew up this way, it's like, do you, you know what I mean? So how, how do you, how do you get around that with, in a school? Like, cause I'm sure from the parents to, to the educators, you've got people on both ends. How do you bring them together? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's challenging for sure. And I don't know, um, 
I don't know if we can always bring everybody together. I think what we can do is encourage um, respectful discourse and respectful engagement with one another um, and hold some standards around that. Um, education is very personal. Teaching our kids is very personal. So I really understand that for some parents, that's just going to feel too difficult to be able to connect. And I don't ever want to take away anyone's values. But there need to be some common values for how we talk with one another and how we engage with one another. Um, so I, I mean, I think you, you named empathy at the end, and that's where my mind was going. I mean, I think our society is in some desperate need of more empathy and for all of us to spend that time. Um, I think in schools, we have to hold that standard. And I think most, most schools do that, you know, being respectful, kind, um, disagreeing in a way that is also allows people their dignity and their rights is important. And we need to hold that for our kids and for our society. That's what our society needs. We need to be able to, to listen to one another. And I feel like we've really lost that over the last few years. And we can disagree respectfully. I mean, it, it used to be sure. that that happens that was the norm and something's changed where the norm isn't to disagree respectfully as much anymore. And, and I think we need to get back to that. Yeah. I think it's, it's gotta be really hard. And we have friends who are, who are teachers, family members who are teachers and, and it's, it's gotta be so hard to deal with that day in and day out because, you know, kids show up and they learn what they learn at home. They learn what they learn on the streets or on their, their phone, and then they bring it to school. So there's, like it they're getting pulled and pushed and especially teenagers we know we were mm -hmm. teenagers once mm -hmm. you're already dealing with your hormones and then on top of that you've got all this covid and uh divisiveness like it's yeah it's it's got to be really tough and i just not to harp on the technology thing but I, I i usually do because i feel like that that's the big difference maker it's how you use it it's not that the technology is bad i've made a business out of technology so there's some good there, mm -hmm. but um, as parents, teachers, you've got to be really careful how you use that technology. And I think that, um, you know, like when you talk about external factors and all of that, I think that that's one of the ones that right now, the education system, they're not leveraging that enough, both in private and public. So what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about if Google and Facebook are so powerful or Microsoft with LinkedIn and TikTok, all these organizations, they are very powerful and they have probably more of our kids' attentions than us as parents and educators combined, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's for gaming or just because they're online and doing their thing. So what, what, if, what if we work to include them more? And in how they build, like I know Facebook's talking about this metaverse, and it's kind of scary to think that they're going into this world where it's not reality, but they're going to make money out of it. And that's great. And, and, and it's sort of their evolution, but I don't see how it's going to make our kids be more connected and have more empathy and care more about the world. I just see that they're going to care more about this virtual world that isn't really real because you can't really feel empathy or pain for something that is happening in the virtual world. You know, so like when I'm thinking about someone like you, who's been at it for so long, like if I had to ask you for a way to see what, what comes next, I would say, include the tech companies who have our kids attention, include them 
in that whole process, you know, because yeah. we don't hear about that. Or maybe there is, you tell me, I don't know. Maybe they are. You know, tech, tech companies have been, been partners with schools forever, really. Um, they are there. Um, uh, they often provide a, a lot of resources for schools. Um, uh, a lot of them have foundations, uh, Google and uh, Facebook among them that give money to um, programs in schools. Apple has been a great supporter of providing, you know, computers Apple forever. Um, and so there are tech companies that are there doing that part of the work. I think what you're talking about is how do we integrate the instruction with these, uh, with more technology. And I think, I think it's a good point. There are definitely examples of that coming um, and, okay. and companies that are developing it. Um, I think it's the balance though, between going with what the kids know and helping them to have those human connections and things that we think are important outside of that space. And so I think we need to just look at the balance of those two things. Cause I, I wouldn't want to lose uh, helping kids look up from their screens and having a different connection, you know, savoring what it is to, to touch a real beach and real sand versus just a virtual right. one. So I think we need to have the combination of both of those things and, and create safety, which is a lot of what I've been hearing you say. I mean, when, when we're talking about, um, you know, how do we get kids' attention? How do we get them to connect? All of us as human beings, we're wired to experience safety and connection. Like that's actually what we want. So I think a part of okay. our job as adults, whether we're parents or educators or tech companies, is how do we create a safer and more just world for all of our kids? And how do we model that for them and teach that for them and all the different interactions we have, whether they're in person, whether they're virtual. I think money is a big problem there because you're yeah. right. And anybody who has money can get in there and money is winning the day over some of those connections and over yeah. maybe some of the standards we might want to put in place. But I do think that's a big part of it is how can we come together and agree that we want to we want to leave things better for the next generation. And that means that we need to put some of these things aside and, yeah. um, and benefit to the benefit of our kids. Well, great. It's been great talking to you. And I think that our, our listeners appreciate all the, the knowledge that you are sharing with us about your process and helping educators, you know, just again, have a, uh, both the educators and the students have a better experience all around because they, that at the end of the day, you know, when, when kids grow up just like us and our kids, they're the ones that, that are going to go out in the world and make those changes. So, right. um, how, how well we manage to do it each generation becomes, it, it becomes really important because right now it's not going to be about you or me. It's going to be about our kids. Right. And eventually it'll be about their kids. And so, yeah, hopefully we can do it. I'm definitely optimistic, you know, but I'm skeptical of, of, of some of the things, the technologies. And, and, and so that's why I thought it was important to have you here today, because you have this sort of internal view of every stakeholder in that process in California yeah. it could be its own country. So I'm sure yeah. you, you <laughs> see it every day, but I know you have a book, you have the website, the your three eyes.com, right. Mm -hmm. as well. So we'll send people there to connect with you on LinkedIn. And um, any parting thoughts or trends, thoughts that you want to leave us with for 2022? You know, I, I always leave almost always with the same, which is like being kindness is, is what we need more of in this world. So starting with kindness to ourselves and then radiating that out to the people around us. Um, kindness is free. 
Um, it can sometimes feel difficult to give, but the, the benefits are so huge. So I would just offer everyone to try and be kind and take care of yourself this holiday season. It's been a rough couple of years and we need to take care of ourselves. Uh, thank you so much, Megan. Thank you yeah. for being with us here today. Thanks for having me. 